Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, my finest friends. It's me, Richard Herring, and this is the second episode of my new podcast, Can I Have My Ball Back? It's a podcast all about testicles and the history of testicles and amazing facts about testicles, all told through the prism of my own testicle story. No spoilers, but I can tell you the prism I'm looking through is my excised, stretched out, cancerous gonad which I've made into a prism. I shine lights through it at night. I've made my testicle into a sort of nightlight. Why not? Now, if you haven't heard episode one, you're an idiot for being here. But let's remind you, in case you've forgotten, it was a week ago. We heard from Charlie Borman, who has his dog's vet to thank for catching his testicular cancer. We also heard the beginnings of my own story, how I felt my ball growing larger and firmer, 
but how it nonetheless took me ages to go and see the GP, because I'm an idiot. And how, when I eventually plucked up the courage to go to the doctor, he said that if he was a betting man, he'd lay a wager on my testicular affliction not being cancer. His money was all going down on epididymitis. It's a very odd roulette wheel they have at the surgery, but that's where his money was. Was he going to be right? Luckily for him and for me, he decided to send me for a scan in any case. And that is where we're picking up the story from right now. So I went in for the scan and I have to tell you, I was amazed with the efficiency of the NHS at this, the absolute worst possible time to require their services. I'd made my appointment at the GP on the Tuesday, and even though the scan was just a belt and braces double check, the hospital rang me on Wednesday and booked me in for that Friday. I felt even more guilty wasting the time of these hard work professionals now that I knew that my problem was almost certainly a blockage of the testicle tubes. So certain was this diagnosis, actually, that Ladbrokes had stopped taking bets on it and <laughs> actually paid out in advance to anyone who got their money down early enough. So. I arrived at the desk at the entry to the scanning department where I was asked for my date of birth and my address and then directed to another reception where I was once again asked for my date of birth and my address. And then a member of staff came out of the scanning room, called to me and asked me to confirm my date of birth and my address. Uh, I've got into Buckingham Palace with less security than this. Gen <laughs> genuinely. Uh, it was a day where all the world leaders were going to Buckingham Palace. I was working, researching... <laughs> a Royal Encyclopedia for Macmillan in the early 1990s. At the time, I was using a huge silver camera case as my briefcase, and I went the wrong way and just walked into the centre of Buckingham Palace, past a guard with a massive spike on the end of his gun, and I got right into Buckingham Palace, turned around and went, oh, well, this probably isn't right. <laughs> so I tell you, it was quite interesting. <laughs> I can only presume, like, this level of security at the hospital is because there's a lot of strange men out there trying to surreptitiously sneak into this department. <laughs> to get their balls scanned. I mean, and who wouldn't want a load of sticky jelly smeared on their scrotum and then have what looks like a supermarket scanner rubbed over it repeatedly? Um, though you can get this without going to the hospital if you just head to your local Sainsbury's where one of your staff will surely oblige. Don't waste the NHS's time on this, you perverts. I was most apologetic to the quiet lady who was about to do the scan. I'd explained that I knew that it was epididymitis and I was sorry for wasting her time. She didn't seem to mind and simply wanted to get on with the job in hand, so to speak. But... <laughs> Thus, for the second time in a week, I broke my personal best time for a ball fondling from a stranger. There, there was a little palaver to go through with this before she started, which made the whole experience seem kind of a little bit coy and sweet. Uh, even though this lady was about to smear my testicles with gel and then scan them from every conceivable angle, she asked me to put on a gown and then take down my trousers. I was then had to lie on the couch and put a paper towel over myself and lift my penis away from my testicles and over my tummy. Uh, sure, my plums and arse were on open display, but at least nobody saw my penis. <laughs> and maintained my dignity. <laughs> what I particularly enjoyed was the colleague who sat in the corner watching. Uh, <laughs> presumably, like people who go to watch the Grand Prix, they're secretly hoping for a disaster. They're pretending they're for good reasons. I'm not turned on by someone scanning my balls, but someone silently observing <laughs> someone scanning my balls. That's what I like. And it's what they like in return, presumably. It's, it's a reciprocal deal, it's fine. Uh, the scan was incredibly thorough, literally leaving no stone unturned. Uh, she seemed to be checking and rechecking. I assumed if you do this job, then you become a connoisseur of the cojones. And when you get a perfect set of globes, you really want to admire them properly. The craftsmanship. But 
the process was taking quite a lot longer than I'd expected, but I was confident I was only here for confirmation, so I lay back and thought about my plans for the rest of the day. Eventually, after what felt like 15 minutes, she quietly stated, there is something there. The lady with the supermarket scanner had found an unexpected item in the bagging area, but that... <laughs> but that happened all the time at Sainsbury's, right? You simply called someone over, they pressed the reset button, and it was fine, so... It's going to be fine, right? Well, this is very exciting, isn't it? What a cliffhanger to end that section of stand-up on. What could she possibly have found? I mean, if I was a responsible person, I would tell you immediately because this is a medical issue. You might have it as well. And the sooner you can act, the better. But I'm trying to get as many listens to my podcast as possible. So I'm going to string it out. And if that means anything happens to either of us, you know, at least we got some advertising revenue. You're going to have to keep listening to find out. Uh, In the meantime, it's time for my second guest of the series in... Episode one, you heard how reticent I was to go and see my GP. And I don't think I'm the only one. And I wanted to find out more about why men are so slow to see their doctor when they think that something might be wrong, especially when it's something in the genital area. Why are men so stupid? And why am I so stupid as well? I am one of those men. So I chatted to GP Dr. Sarah Kayak. So men are bad at coming forward, not only about personal issues like, you know, the genitals, but are bad at just coming forward at all and see their GP. We know that women are far more likely to seek help. And I think when you add in the mix of it being something that they perceive as being embarrassing, we instantly increase that lack of attendance even further. And I I think initially it was that whole male toxicity type of thing that causes people to not see their doctor. They don't want to be perceived as weak or perceived as, you know, having problems with themselves. But I feel like as time has gone on, we have hopefully tried to minimize that and help more men come forward. But you know, you do still get a lot of men consulting with me. And the first thing they'll say is, this is a really embarrassing problem. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I'm like, no, no, this is normal. This is okay. But yeah, a lot of men do start with that as their front running conversation opener. Yeah. I mean, I I guess I sort of did as well. I mean, I kind of left my issue for a little while. I don't think it was, it was probably weeks rather than months, or I sort of convinced myself not to come in what have you seen any examples where it's terribly late where men have come in is what's the kind of worst example of a man leaving it until it's too late um thankfully I've not necessarily seen it too late in terms of testicular cancer but I I have seen things being left for significant time when it comes to STIs actually I've seen you know people having really bad symptoms of an STI that would otherwise have been treated you know, fairly easy, fairly quickly, but they've left it so long that it's it's pretty it's pretty horrendous down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My personal cancer, the entire ball had been taken over by cancer by the time it was taken out. I think it had sort of grown from the middle outward, so it had been a bit harder to notice. In fact, my GP didn't think it was cancer when I went in. So can you explain how testicular cancer usually presents and is my experience normal or not normal? When it comes to knowing the symptoms, first and foremost, it's important to know your normal. Know what your testicles feel like normally, because actually, 
you know, in the scrotum, there's more to it than just the testes. There's the epididymis, which is the tube near it. There's various blood vessels, nerves, and there are all these things that feel different to just a ball. Um, And so I think it's really important that you know what's normal for you. And any change to that is something that you speak to a doctor about. But the main symptoms of testicular cancer would be a hard lump, um, swelling or enlargement of the testicle, any kind of firmness or change in texture, pain, discomfort, you know, any unusual difference, honestly. Are there any particular awkward moments for you as a GP where... uh maybe like someone's come for a different reason and then like going to a chemist and saying I'll buy all this stuff and then oh I'll I'll have some condoms as well do you experience that a lot that kind of thing I always feel really bad for my uh, male patients who come to see me for medicals because I think they assume I'm just gonna check their blood pressure and you know maybe have a listen to their heart and then I'm like now can you pull down your trousers and underwear please (laughs) and the shock on patients patients I don't understand why they don't think I'm going to go down that area I'm I'm not sure (laughs) why they think it's out of bounds even today I I genuinely had a patient today whose face just went whoosh and and was like really (laughs) well yeah yeah it's still part of your body I'm afraid (laughs) for us it's a really normal part of an examination it's as normal as doing someone's blood pressure but obviously to your lay patients it doesn't feel that normal but I think that's what we really need to work on doing making it normal yeah I had a friend who worked in a sexually transmitted disease clinic as a doctor and she got hit on quite a lot by patients with sexually transmitted diseases which I thought was quite unusual and also occasionally had to deal with penises acting in a way that they are sometimes want to do but hopefully not in that situation is that because I guess guys would be worried about that happening she would just hit it with a pencil was her her solution I think I want to meet this girl she sounds great (laughs) so I can only count on one hand probably just a couple of fingers the number of times that someone's had an erection or it's misbehaved in a way they weren't expecting um In all honesty, most of the time, people are so nervous about coming in to see the doctor that I don't think getting jiggy is their primary concern. (laughs) And even if it did happen, sometimes these things are involuntary. Sometimes you can't do anything about it. And if it happens, it happens. I've never whacked it with a pencil, but um, I would (laughs) probably just ignore politely. (laughs) It's advert time. Time to make some money out of my pound of flesh. Don't think there was a pound in there, but you never know by the end. We'll be back with you in a minute. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to Can I Have My Ball Back? The UK's premier testicle-based podcast, in my opinion. I'm still chatting to Dr. Sarah Kayat about going to see your GP about your embarrassing testicles. Obviously, testicular cancer is fairly rare and things can go wrong down there that might feel like they're going to be testicular cancer. Can you take us through a few of the less, well, some of them are still quite serious, but (laughs) it's the less serious things that it could be. Sure. So we have a a few different things that can go on down there. Firstly, I suppose the most significant one that we would need to manage quickly if it did happen would be something called testicular torsion, uh, where the testicle um, twists, the testes twist, and it cuts off the blood supply towards the testicle by twisting. And therefore, it can mean that the testicle can um, not get the oxygen it needs and can die off. And so it is something that needs to be managed quickly. That tends to happen in, in younger patients. The symptoms are used usually a pain either in the testicle or it can even radiate up towards the abdomen and then it can become swollen and tender to touch. Other things that can happen are hydrocele, so that's just where fluid collects within the testes and a good way of knowing whether the swelling is fluid or something else is to pop a little torch on it. Um, So if you pop a torch on fluid, it kind of shines all the way through and it's like this nice kind of glow lamp. Um, If you pop (laughs) a torch on a testicular cancer, a hard lump, it doesn't glow. It's not as fun. And so you know that it's something more serious that way. A hydrocele is not usually anything that we worry about. So it's something that we can manage, but it's not often something that needs to be done, you know, immediately. The other thing is a varicocele, which is where you get essentially varicose veins within the scrotum. And that feels like a bag of worms. The kind of the texture, it's a really fun, fun texture, probably not fun for the person who has it, but fun for us. And uh, again, yeah, easily managed. So lots of fun things that it can be. Um, Oh, and epididymitis. So that's another thing that often people confuse lumps with. So uh, the epididymis is the tube along the outside of the testicle. And often you can get swellings and cysts of the epididymis and it's called epididymitis. And that can just feel like a lump and people get worried that it's the testicle, but it's not. It's just the outside. So what kind of proportion does it turn out to be sort of testicular cancer? Is it mainly things that aren't and then it turns out there's a few that are? Yeah, you've got to think about the kind of statistics in terms of how many people actually get testicular cancer every year. It's something like 2,300 people every year in the UK. So that's quite a, a small number compared to the number of people we consult about testicular swellings and lumps. And so if there's any doubt... Would you do the same as my GP if it was sort of like you think it's something, but you would still send someone in for the scan? It seems that the NHS take this pretty seriously. 
Absolutely. So I think for me, if in doubt, I always refer because I don't want to miss it. And also, you know, it's young men that get this from the ages of 15 to 49. It's not a a common cancer in terms of it, you know, affecting the elderly population in which so many other things can mimic those types of symptoms. And it's a really easily treated cancer. So it kind of makes you think, well, if I missed this and it could have been so easily treated, you would just forever be doubting yourself as a doctor. So for me, it's always about investigating if you have any doubt. Because it's a sort of 99% survival rate from testicular cancer. The people who don't survive it, is that generally because it's just been left too long that it's spread throughout their body or is it other reasons? There are a couple of reasons. So firstly, yes, it will depend on um, how long the presentation was before treatment. Secondly, it'll depend on the type of testicular cancer. So 95% of them are called germ cell cancers. So they originate in the germ cells. And that's then further divided into seminomas and non-seminomas. But there are other less common types of testicular cancers like Leydig and Sertoli cell cancers, which can be more aggressive and can uh, be harder to treat. So it does depend on probably those two factors mainly. But it's sort of worth, the minute you have any worry about anything, not just your testicles, I perceive, but especially in this area, you're not going to be in trouble for going into the doctor and and it turning out to be a Rice Krispie stuck to your scrotum. You might get into trouble for that, to be fair. I mean, I I would laugh. Come on in. If you've got Rice Krispies stuck to your testicles, just come see me anyway, because it would be funny. But no, absolutely. I have seen people come in because they can't get their false nails off. I mean, honestly, I've seen everything from whatever you think is minor to horrendous fungating ulcers. I've seen it all. And I would always rather you come in if you have any doubt, you know, Almost all of these cancers can be cured and, you know, are rare to return when it comes to testicular cancers. So let's just get you in early and make sure that we um, send you off happily. And so you say it's a a younger man's disease, which obviously it does, generally speaking, affect young people. I was 53 when I was diagnosed with it, though I guess we don't know how long it had been growing inside. So I might just have got into the 40. might have ticked the 49 box um it obviously does affect older people as well but that's what makes it a slightly cruel disease in terms of obviously it's a bit more um upsetting for a young man to lose a testicle or to lose possibly lose fertility i suppose as well yeah it is harder for a younger person to come to terms with something like that especially if they have to go on to have chemotherapy and you know further treatments which kind of prolong how long they remain in that kind of sick role for i suppose you'd say but in the same breath When you're younger, you're more likely to bounce back, not suffer the complications associated with surgery and and chemotherapy and things like that. So whilst it's still absolutely devastating to get given a diagnosis at any age, at least if you're a bit younger, you have that resilience. It doesn't always affect fertility. More often than not, it doesn't. And you're able to have a fruitful, happy family if that's where you want to go on to. So it's one of those cancers that actually the complications as a result of it tend to be less pronounced. Yeah. I found the, you know, I wasn't delighted to find out I got cancer and obviously it was a bit scary in the first place, but I've actually found the year after the psychological effects of worrying about it coming back. I've been in a few times because I actually had a cyst on the remaining one and then I thought, oh God, it's come back and I've had other worries about it. So I've been back in a couple of times with various things. Once something like this has happened, 
is there a way to help people psychologically to move on with their lives and not worry? Or is that always going to be a factor once you've had cancer? I think when it comes to testicular cancer, we know that it's rare to return more than five years later. You do still get followed up anywhere between five and 10 years after, but it's rare, especially a germ cell type, which is the 95% type, that it comes back after the five years. Having said that, I think you are always going to feel that anxiety anytime anything crops up. And Initially, that's where, you know, people like Macmillan nurses and cancer support nurses can kind of help you through the first section of being monitored. Thereafter, I I really do think that, you know, everyone should really be having therapy, if I'm completely honest. And certainly, (laughs) if you have any health anxieties, especially connected to previous cancers, essentially, it's almost like a PTSD in some people, you know, you've got that massive kind of flashback and anxiety that occurs anytime any new health anxiety comes up. So I think it should be treated as a significant psychological burden and should be treated in that way. I'm not sure it's partly because I've written a book about it and doing a podcast about it. So I'm thinking about it a lot. And weirdly, when I found this, what turned out to be a cyst, luckily, I just thought this has to be psychosomatic because I'm going through exactly the same things as I went through about a year ago. It was quite good for research because I had to go back and be scanned again so I could confirm what the scanning experience was like as I was writing about it. And uh, quite good for the book because it was quite a good last chapter that I thought I had it again. But um, yeah, I think it's sort of difficult to know, even you say you've got to get to know yourself. And even though I've always known this, I think it still is difficult to be sure. I think men do shy away from it and... I've been involved in campaigns about testicular cancer before before I had it, you know, and I'm not sure I was as fastidious as I could have been. And certainly in the year after an operation, when you're down to one, it's very easy to convince yourself something's different or it's very difficult to get to know what the one is and where it, because it moves it moves to the centre. And, and I, I actually find self-examination now quite psychologically difficult thing to go through. Why? What do you feel when you have just to think, do it to yourself? Because you're just sort of really worried. You know, once it's happened, you're really worrying that something else might happen. So therefore, every examination is a bit of a horror show, in a sense. Yeah, I can imagine that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, of course, you're always going to, well, not always going to assume the worst, but I think when you know you've gone through something like that, it's going to be in the back of your head that this is it again. Yeah, I can imagine that bringing yourself to examine yourself, you know, every every now and then to have to go through that feeling every time must be really hard. And I suspect there are probably people out there that actually say, "Well, then I'm not going to examine myself anymore in order to make sure that I don't have to feel that way anymore." But of course regular examination is the only screening test we have for this (laughs) so you know please do always yeah it's really good Sarah Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say Sarah are you happy with something Um, I've missed out from your point of view to be honest I know I I think we covered everything I know about testicular cancer anyway so it's (laughs) probably better to leave it there (laughs) okay well brilliant thanks so much for your time really really appreciate it no worries at all guys So do remember to check your balls. I am checking my own ball right now, which is awkward as my producer is watching on Zoom. But, you know, this is an educational podcast and he's being paid and he has to watch. I've got to get something out of this. And if in doubt, get it checked out. No one's going to mind if it turns out to be a Rice Krispie stuck on your scrotum. 
Anyway, let's get back to my story. And we're going from one GP to another, my own GP. Because when we last heard from me, I'd just been for a scan at the hospital and something untoward had been found in my ball sack, which is never a good look. Neither the lady with the scanner nor her weird silent observer colleague was able to give me any more information. So I was sent home to await a call from my doctor. I came back home from the scan in a bit of a daze. I'd convinced myself it was nothing to worry about. After all, the GP had said it was nothing, or if he was a betting man, he'd said it was nothing. But he wasn't a betting man, so did that mean it was something? <laughs> Maybe he didn't bet, because he always got his diagnoses wrong. <laughs> the schools were, of course, closed, so my wife Katie and I were looking after my daughter Phoebe, days away from her sixth birthday, and my rambunctious three-year-old son Ernie. We were playing together in the living room all laughing and having fun, like a family in a film, immediately before something life-changingly awful happened. <laughs> My mobile rang. It was the GP. I went out in the hallway to answer it. It had all been fun and laughter the last time we'd spoken, but now his voice seemed quiet and solemn and ever so slightly shaky. So you'll remember you came into my surgery complaining of an enlarged testicle, he began somewhat unnecessarily. Um, yeah, I vaguely recall. I prefer, <laughs> trying to keep it light. I thought it might be epididymitis, but we sent you in for a scan at the hospital just in case. It was like we were on the X Factor and we were <laughs> recapping for the audience, stringing this out for maximum drama. I wondered if he'd have the chutzpah to pull the old Simon Cowell double bluff. I'm really sorry to have to tell you that you do not have cancer. The, the technician had the thumb over the scanner lens. You're fine. If so, the doctor was really committing to the part. He was more nervous than me. He said, now I've had the results and I think they told you this, but there is something there that shouldn't be there. Yes. Uh, we can't tell you what it is from the scan, but, oh, gosh, it's pretty big. Uh, he'd surprised himself there. Uh, six centimetres long. Sixteen centimetres, I explained. No, 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 six, he repeated. Oh, well, that's not so big then. Six centimetres is pretty big. It's not as big as 16. <laughs> Thinking about it, was my testicle even six centimetres long? Was there, was there something bigger than my testicle inside my testicle? Was my testicle a TARDIS? Sending my sperm backwards and forwards in time. Was he about to tell me that I was my own grandfather and had damaged the space-time continuum? Probably not. He'd wanted to see me in person to break news like that. Hey. He continued, there's lots of things it might be, but you must be aware of what it could be. He couldn't even say the word. Three days ago, he'd been laying down imaginary bets with fantasy diagnostic bookies on it not being cancer, and now he couldn't even say the word cancer. I actually thought there was a danger he might cry. There was a long, empty silence, so I filled it. Cancer, I suggested. Yeah. What happens now is I'll be handing you over to the hospital. They'll do a full body scan and then probably take a biopsy so they can determine what the mass is. And it might not be. Cancer, I offered again. Yes. <laughs> but if it is... I set him up to finish the sentence, but he didn't. Uh, are they not allowed to say it unless you definitely have it? I, so I said to him, if it is cancer, my colleagues will be in touch with all the details. If you have any questions or concerns, or if there are any developments, if anything else happens, please do ring me. I sat down on a dining room chair to let this all sink in. In the next room, Ernie was squealing with delight. I listened to those peals of laughter and was instantaneously overwhelmed. Death was no longer abstract, but suddenly all much too real. I might have cancer. I might actually die. That little laughing boy would grow up without a dad and wouldn't even remember a single thing about me. Just over a year before, I'd lost my great friend Tony to cancer. He was one year older than me and, like me, had left it late to have a family. He also had a young son. It just seemed certain in that moment that the same fate was going to fall to me. 
I started crying like I've never really cried before, utterly spontaneously. With no effort on my part, water began cascading down my face. I'm not sure I made a sound, but my soul was a damp rag and someone had grabbed it and wrung it out. I was sad for Phoebe and Ernie. How would it be for them to grow up without a dad? For Katie, being a parent to struggle with two of us, how would she get through the next decade and a half alone to begin with? <laughs> I was sad for Tony and my other friends who bravely stood up to cancer but were taken by it far too young. But mainly I quickly realised these hot tears were for me. I didn't want to die. I really didn't want to die. After obsessing and worrying about death for my whole life, I'd somehow still believed it was something that wouldn't actually happen to me. Not soon, anyway, and probably not ever. <laughs> I was crying now because, for the first time, death was palpable. That infinitely long expanse of absolutely nothing that was going to engulf me. I had cancer, and having cancer means you're dying. Plus, I was angry that after all the work and effort I'd put in with my kids, all the sleepless nights, the dirty bottoms, the piss in my face, the vomit over my clothes, the relentless, never-ending, zombie-like state of the last three years, Ernie would have no memory of me at all. I'd have done all of that for nothing. <laughs> it was maybe even worse that Phoebe would only vaguely recall me. I'd be that man that she'd been reluctant to hug, who she'd mainly had disdain for. She'd probably only remember me for doing smelly farts. I'd be guilty as charged, but if, if she'd had more time, she would have known I was a bit more than that. Not much more than that, but it would be so. Katie would move on, of course she would, to some chancer with a moustache and cowboy boots with my 15-year-old malt whiskey on his breath. Whiskey I'd been saving for a special occasion, a special occasion that would now never come. My kids would call him Dad, take his last name. I went through the seven stages of grief as quickly as a character in a zany American comedy film. Before my tears had even dried, I was trying to work out what I could do with my remaining time on this planet to ensure financial security for those I was leaving behind. I was working out which passwords and instructions I needed to pass on to Katie and which ones I really didn't need to pass on. <laughs> she had no idea how to do the bins. I was determined my dishwasher loading skills mustn't die with me. <laughs> Katie came out of the living room to see how the call had gone. I was shaky, but back in control, and I'm not sure she even realised I'd been crying. I told her about the lump, about the doctor's quivering voice, the fact he wouldn't even say the word. Which word, she asked. Which word do you think? The C word. I don't think it would be appropriate for him to say the C word. <laughs> I meant cancer. I know, but you'd think cancer would be the unsayable word out of the two, wouldn't you? Given how great the other C word is and how fucking awful cancer is. <laughs> Cancer's definitely a C word, she said. Is this definitely cancer, though? No, they don't know what it is. Well, so there you go. We don't know. It might be nothing. If I do die, I said to her, you're not going to die. She said, but if I do die, will you promise me one thing? I'm not entertaining the thought. Please. It's important. What? Will you please pour all my whiskey down the sink? <laughs> Wow, that took a turn, didn't it? It's got pretty dramatic. What kind of monster would use their own potential testicular cancer as a cliffhanger to try and get you back to listen to the next episode of their podcast? They would be an awful person. Well, you're going to have to wait till next time to find out what could possibly have gone wrong in my bollock. What have they found? I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to tune in to Can I Have My Ball Back? My story of getting testicular cancer, having a ball removed and then recovering to find out. Oh, I have just gave it away. That wasn't a very good cliffhanger as it turned out. But I don't want you going to sleep feeling worried about my balls. OK, my ball or my balls, either of them. 
My, I would say, optimistic producer still thinks there's some value in giving out an email address in case you want to send us any of your favourite testicle facts and stories. I've told him he's just going to get a lot of bald and dick pics and he's going to have to go through them. I will never see them. But if you have any interesting facts or any interesting stories you want to share either anonymously or out loud, be proud. Do send them in to the email address, which is cihmbb at gmail.com. That's the initials of Can I Have My Ball Back? Kahimabubba, cihmbb at gmail.com. That's right. We're on Gmail. Thanks for listening. Do remember, if nothing else from this podcast, to regularly check out your junk and any other bits you might have on your body. Get used to what you've got. If anything changes pop to your GP. It's all very simple. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please buy my book or audio book of Can I Have My Ball Back? It's available at all good bookshops at gofasterstripe.com slash ball or at Audible and similar audio book places. It's a companion piece to this series in the same way that my right bollock used to be a companion piece to my left one. I mean, you know, I didn't even write that joke. That seems very cruel and I'm very hurt by that. You know, I've been through a lot. Can I Have My Ball Back is presented by me, Richard Herring. Thanks very much to my guest, Dr. Sarah Kayat. My producer, to whom I'm indebted, is Ben Walker. Thanks also to Chris Evans, not that one. My researcher, Alex Hiscock. George Lingford, the incompetent sound man. Rich Evans at Syncbox. And also to the Bill Murray and the Phoenix, where we recorded the stand-up sections. The music is by Gustav Holst. Check out some of his other stuff. He's an up-and-coming composer. Thanks also to BMG Music Library. This is a Go Faster Stripe, Sky Potato and Fuzz production. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. 
GoFosterStroke.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.